DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Welcome in. It's Friday morning, and I'm already thinking about the weekend. As a matter of fact, I'm thinking about Sunday night. As a matter of fact, as you're about to hear, I was thinking about Sunday night when I was talking to Craig Bullerjack on the radio yesterday. He joined PK and I, and we're about to replay that interview for you coming up in the next segment. Uh, Joe Ingalls after that. Uh, But I want to talk to Bowler about this because I think a lot of Jazz fans are wondering this. What exactly, how exactly, are the Jazz going to play into the final two episodes of MJ? The Last Dance. Probably not as much as you think would be my guess. Now, having said that, Still quite a bit, right? Because what they've really got left to deal with are the 1997 season, and they typically uh, do a finals in each episode, right? And they've also got the 1998 Eastern Conference final, which went seven games to the Pacers, and they've already run a bite as a promo with Reggie Miller talking about how he thought they were better and they had a chance to send Jordan home. And Reggie knew with all the scuttlebutt around the league, he had a chance to retire Jordan, not just send him home for the year, Right. That'd be it. And I don't know if you didn't live through the time and it's 20 years ago. So if you didn't live through at a certain age, Jordan was borderline unbeatable. Not just the six championships, that's 24 playoff series. And then as they've documented in 95, he came back and Orlando beat him in the second round. So he won 25 out of 26 playoff series. Let that sink in. He won 25 out of 26 playoff series. That is unbelievable. And you can stretch it out more. He won 29 out of 32. The Pistons got him twice. And then Shaq and Orlando got him when he came back from baseball. And he was waiting for Horace Grant and Scottie Pippen to grow up. And they lost in Game 7 when Pippen didn't play. Right? So it's... You have to be so incredible to pull this off. And we were just talking yesterday about top players of all time. Where does Shaq fall on the list? 10? 15? Not lower than that. Isaiah and Pistons were back-to-back champs. How often is that done? It's so hard to be Jordan. And yet the Jazz felt like they could have done it, almost didn't, didn't do it. Reggie Miller felt the same way with the Pacers. But so much of this is about the, uh, the, inter- the, the dynamics between the players, and I think there'll be a lot of that. Now, they're going to spend some time on the flu game. You know that. There's going to be some stories there. There's a bunch of stories around here that it wasn't the flu, but self-imposed flu, if you know what I mean. I don't know how much they're going to get into that. We'll have to see um, how much they throw the theories out there. And the last shot, and did he push off, has to come up. Stockton, I'm really intrigued by what John Stockton's going to say. We know he's been interviewed. I assume Carl was, but I haven't read either way. Um, Carl was always a good interview. He was usually a willing interview, so I assume he did it. Stockton was a tough interview, and we've heard he was a hard interview to get for this. And he didn't want to be part of a puff piece. So he wanted to say something that was negative or something that was controversial. He didn't usually want to do that. So I'm intrigued to see how he, you know, I mean, he could complain about the three-point shots, but he didn't usually complain about the refereeing either. So I'm really intrigued by what John said because it doesn't seem obvious to me. And maybe I won't be able to figure it out later either. You know, who knows? So I'm intrigued. Um, 
But mostly these teams have been dismissed as not good enough, and I don't think Jazz fans really want to hear that. But the fact is they weren't. They didn't win. That's why Jordan won 25 out of 26 playoff series. Now, is Jordan going to laugh at a Jazz player the way he laughed at Gary Payton? That'll suck. <laughs> all right, well, we'll all find out Sunday night. Uh, we'll talk about it with, Bo- with Bowler coming up. And then Joe Ingles after that. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're going to join now by Craig Bullerjack, TV voice of the Utah Jazz. He joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Bowler, good morning. Hello, DJ and Mr. PK. Hey. <laughs> you know what? I got to be honest. Hearing that was the doors coming back, right? Love me two times. Yes. Yeah, I just I don't know why that I could just see you in a with a guitar and just up there trying to do a little rock and roll on that song. I don't know why. It just kind of fits your. It fits you. Did you see uh, Val Kilmer in the movie? Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was good. Yeah, I'm waiting to see whenever they release Top Gun Toe Maverick and see what his role is. I guess he, there was some, you know, that was that, that movie kind of intrigued me back in the day. How long, was it, 40 years ago, 35 years ago? But now they've been waiting almost two years to release it. So we'll see what happens in the summer if they do bring it out. I like Val Kilmer, by the way, in uh, Tombstone as he, Doc Holliday. He was excellent. It's great, 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 great uh, part for him. I thought it was great. Bowler ESPN ran a list out of the top five NBA players of all time. Jordan, LeBron, Magic, Bill Russell, and Kareem. Any obvious mistakes there? Anybody you'd take out and replace with somebody else? Or is that good enough? Because this discussion is impossible. It is impossible. It is. It is impossible because no matter what generation you grew up in you're always going to look back and say what about jerry west i mean he's the logo right of the nba um you know there there are just so many great players that have come and changed the way this game is being played or was played and now is played but that list i I don't have a lot of argument you know with um wilt uh unbelievable was wilt yeah wilt uh kareem uh, Will, you, and then it was Russell, Will, Russell, and Kareem were the bigs. Jordan, LeBron, yeah. and Magic. So, well, the one you would think is Will Chamberlain, who would uh, probably roll over uh, with his name not in it. But again, Kareem has been very vocal in his own way about his um, the hierarchy of of his play in this league and and what it meant too for bigs and how it changed. I mean, that's always an argument. Wilt was unbelievable in his genre, genre, and uh, now you know. It's it's I, I love the discussion, but I don't know if there's really an answer to it, and to the discussion, 
because everybody has a different opinion on where they grew up and who they saw play because we get to see so much. In the, in the day, there was you know, television. Come on. There was, there was really nothing except highlights that you would, or unless you went to the, to the arena to watch. But, man, we get such a heavy dose of LeBron, Michael Jordan, uh, Bird, Magic, Malone, Stockton. Uh, yeah, it's, it's tough because I don't think a lot of people were ever given an opportunity to watch them play unless you saw them in action live at the arena. See, I think that if you're going to create a list of the 10 best players I believe that you could have at least legitimately 15, if not 20 players on that list. If I'm going to have my top 10, and DJ read the top five, and the others, five others that could be in the top 10 that ESPN listed, but Jerry West wasn't on it, uh, Dr. J wasn't on it. You take a look the at big that, o. like John Havlicek. I think he gets yeah, a, Ondo. Oscar Robertson, obviously. Yeah, Havlicek, there was a season he averaged, uh, playing like 46 minutes a game, he averaged 28 points and like 8 assists and 9 boards, something like that. I mean, those are phenomenal numbers, on, and, and you're playing all those minutes on a basketball team, and I think you've got to put our guys, the two statues in there. If you're going to list, if you're just going to put as many people as you think are deserving to be on that list... I think the list, if you come up with the top ten, I think the list of players who are deserving is double. Agreed. It'd be 1A, 1, 1A, 2, 2B, you know, that type of thing. Um, You know, look, Stockton Malone, outside Utah, people will sometimes roll their eyes at us. But you know what? The numbers don't lie. Number two all-time leading scorer, two-time MVP. And you've got John Stockton, who, again, continues to be you know, regaled as, you know, the dirtiest player uh, in the NBA ever, which is amazing after watching the last dance and seeing the physicality of what the Chicago Bulls took from the Detroit Pistons, from the bad boys. But all-time leader in assists and steals, two records that I just don't see happening to be to, to happen to be broken. I really don't. Uh, I mean, yeah, I know, the, I know the cliche, records are meant to be broken, but some just stay there. And Stockton's numbers are outrageous. Uh, his productive ability on a given night was just so consistent, PK, that uh, I think people really have to stand back and, and look at Stock and Malone because they were such a great tandem, maybe one of the best. Um, and I know that people argue them, you know, the magic and Stockton debate, but the guy was six one and the guy was 180 pounds, and now he's feared as the most uh, dirty, the dirtiest player in the league, really. Kind of amuses me at times, to be honest. But he just played hard. He had that. Uh, he had that approach, much like Jordan, much like LeBron, of that assassination role, uh, being an assassin of going out and taking no prisoners, and that's what made him great. He didn't care about the cameras. You let Malone do that, as we all know. Malone loved the camera, and Stockton just hit, and he did his thing for years and did it very well. So I'm curious because Stockton did not want to be involved in a puff piece. So that means he needs a chance to say something negative. And I'm thinking, right. what is he going to say about Jordan that is negative? Because if he just wanted to praise him and how difficult he was to play against him, well, then you're getting into puff piece territory. So I'm trying to figure out what it is I should expect out of Stockton on Sunday night. And I'm not clear. 
Yeah, I'm not either. I mean, you know, when you say puff piece, my first thought was he, he was a definite no. And then he softened on the stance, must have been given some parameters of how far he could go. But then I also thought to myself, Stockton was never really one to give much of an opinion of anything. You know, you remember the interviews. You know, a, a John, uh, what did, yeah, you know, I remember he had a bad elbow one time and he promised he'd talk about it. Uh, to me after the game and so i said john okay what about the elbow oh it's fine i'm like good grief you know i mean that was such a stockton line um there was nothing wrong everything was going to be okay uh he never you know ever took apart that i can't remember a teammate and you know had no issue with larry you know, they negotiated contracts with pieces of paper right across the desk from each other. That's folklore, but I, I, it's from all indications. I know it's true. Write a number down. Wrote a number, slid it by. Larry wrote one. Boom, done. I mean, that's how simple the guy was in, this, in the way of dealing with the media and ownership. So it'll be interesting, man. I, I tell you, these last two hours have got to be focused on, obviously, B. Russ. I don't know if B. Russ is talking about the, the push-off. Um, and Stockton's Stockton's uh, interview will really intrigue me to see where he's going with it. You think Jordan was able to get away f- with the stuff that he got away with in terms of treating his teammates? Because I can make an argument that the gap between the best player on the team and the second best player was for a team that won a title was never greater than what you had between Jordan and the Bulls? You know, this is intriguing, uh, PK, because I've learned a lot. I mean, the insight of, of what he's been able to say, and I just read yesterday or this morning, Pippen's upset with the portrayal of, of, of himself. But, you know, he brought it on himself by riding the pine in game three um, in the playoff series when Jordan was out playing basketball, and that was his opportunity to be the guy in Chicago, which I think he – he obviously wanted desperately and the respect and the contracts uh, that would go with a superstar. He was, you know, he was his secondhand man. He was his little buddy, you know, as everybody would say. And, uh, but, you know, as I watch it, Jordan was as aggressive in your face as I, I could imagine. I guess I go back to my uh, attendance at the Hall of Fame induction ceremony and just the brutality at times of his acceptance speech calling out players, calling out the guy that beat him in ninth grade on the junior varsity roster and made him stand up in the crowd. I mean, it was, it was like, what? This ought to be a moment of praise, thanks, and, and, but it wasn't. It still was like, for him, some statement he had to make, and I thought it was like way out there. I was really surprised by it, and I think a lot of people were. Um, but you, you find him trying, at least in his explanation, is to make everyone around him better. But Leadership has two different ways of going about it. You can encourage them. Like Pick, Pippen was shown as putting an arm around a guy and saying, hey, man, pick your ass up. Let's go. Um, but Jordan would berate you from all indications. I mean, B.J. Armstrong gave, you know, and Will Perdue, Cartwright, those guys. There's always some sort of an issue that was underlying in practice, and he would uh, try to tear you down. But his, his theory was if I tear them down, I build them up and to try to bring them to, to his level. And, PK, your point's well taken. Look, his level was unachievable because he was Jordan, right? So I think there had to be tons of frustration. And you're right, he willed 
that team to multiple championships. And we saw it personally with the Jazz in 97 and 98. It was a Jordan show in the end because he wanted it. And uh, the teammates followed. How do you think the Jazz will be portrayed in this? Because, you know, for Jazz fans, this is just ripping the scab off the wound, yeah, right? And pouring yeah. salt in it. And I've watched how the other four teams have been portrayed. And there's no way other to portray them than, you know, as a team that wasn't good enough and lost to Jordan. Um, I think that probably will be the end game in this story. Uh, that they had built together a great team, one of the most dynamic combinations in basketball. Jerry Sloan is the head coach. There has to be some story, too, of Jerry in this because of his relationship once coaching the Bulls and then being a Bull and having his jersey uh, hung in the rafters as the original Bull. So there has to be some storyline there about the toughness of this team and how it reflects in Jerry Sloan's personality. And, PK, we all respect Jerry Sloan and the toughness he brought to the floor as a player and, and as a coach and the expectations every night. It wasn't about analytics. It wasn't about stats. As he always told us, it's about heart. And I think this team had heart. And I think they'll, I hope they review the controversial calls, the Isley uh, controversy, the push-off. Of course, Jordan came up with the steal. And what was an eight or nine, ten point lead evaporated quickly. Uh, Malone's incredible game in Chicago to bring it back to Salt Lake for game six. I hope they look at that as well. I hope they look at this team as a fighting team, as a, as a team that uh, was really near perfection. But again, I think in the end, DJ, as you just said, uh, all the teams have been portrayed as being incredibly talented, but just not able to stop Michael Jordan. And I think the Jazz fans jazz fans understand that. Did he get a little help from Dick Bavetta? Uh, I look back at highlights all the time of that game. And you know what? I see what everybody else sees, but someone else saw it the other way. And is that how Jordan rules? Maybe. You know, we have this issue in, our, in, in pro sports today. You know, I mean, it's always the gripe of fans of, you know, special treatment to, to, to all-stars or the superstars and maybe really no difference than it was in 97 and 98. See, I think the most intriguing aspect here is Jordan, in order to win multiples, so not the first one, but the ones after that, he came up with concocted motivations. The Phoenix Suns, oh, Jerry Krause like Dan Marley, so uh-huh. we're going to get real jacked to play Dan Marley. Dan Marley's Mar- a nice player, don't get me wrong. But the fact that you created an animosity with Dan Marley, I mean, it's ridiculous. You created an animosity with George Carl because he walked past you in a restaurant. You created right. an animosity because <laughs> Gary Payton said that he could guard Jordan. So there was all these concocted motivations that he used. Beyond the first one, the first one you want to win, and you know it didn't matter who it was against. It so happened it was against the Lakers, and you know you got it great. But the subsequent ones, it's like he created – some fake motivation to get himself over the hump. So what's it going to be? Because I think that in order to win that sixth one, and and actually I think that as I'm rambling a little bit, that's where I think Jerry Krause was genius by saying, we're done. 
we're done with you guys. That created the motivation for the sixth title. I believe the Jazz win the series if Kraus says, oh, sure, everyone's going to come back. But the mm-hmm. fact that he said, you're not coming back, that got them so fired up. You, you know what? We're going to go out and show you. And so maybe that was the motivation. It wasn't against anybody for the Jazz, but it was, oh, Jerry, we got to show Jerry Krause. And so by Krause doing that, gave Jordan, he knew how to push Jordan's buttons in a oh, manner that maybe oh, only time. Phil Jackson did. Because I think that helped them get that last that thing because they wanted to prove Krause wrong so bad. That was his motivation. Yeah. No, PK, no argument there. I think Krause throughout this entire docuseries is, is the evil empire when it comes to motivating and, and Jordan being able to say, look, man, I'll do what I want. I mean, the little office that he had privately with his own security guards and, you know, flipping corner quarters uh, to win money, and he wanted to own you. When we'll produce it, why do you want to come up here and play dollar blackjack because I want to own your money? I mean, it was all about finding ways to continue to build some sort of competitive nature in him. Was he bored? I kind of sometimes – he hinted sometimes that he, that he was. What else was there to achieve? And what's amazing to me in this story is after the three titles, his father's death, and then the baseball that he, he, he tried with Chicago, and then to come back and actually three-peat again is beyond imagination of how you could restart the energy and, as you just said, the focus mentally uh, to do it three more times. Uh, that, to me, is, is, I don't know, you talk about, okay, to replicate, I can't imagine. I can't imagine. Uh, has he had an easy life financially? Yes, but I think he's been tortured many, many hours of his day uh, just because of who he is and the way that he, um, he, he approaches life. Um, competitiveness, I think, is, is great, but to what level? But he took it to a level I don't think we've, we've ever seen and maybe we'll never see again. LeBron, people talk about LeBron, but I'd say after watching this again and reliving in my head, covering the Jazz and those two uh, NBA title runs and having a chance to talk to Jordan in those press conferences and in in those corrals and having him look in the eye and just kind of stare through your soul. You could tell he owned a lot of people. He owned the media. He was brilliant with that. And it all comes into play in this equation of his greatness. And I'm like you said, DJ, I'm excited to see how they portray the Jazz and how they portray them as fighters and I would think that they, there ought to be a lot of respect because they fought this team uh, hard. And Malone and Stockton did what they could, and Hornacek and the coaching of Jerry Sloan. And, uh, you know, one of those two title runs, one of, a, one of them should have been in the Jazz back pocket. It just didn't work out, sadly. Bowler, we appreciate the time as always. Thanks for joining us, and we will all watch Sunday night, and then we'll talk about it next week. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Joe's up next, right, Coffee Man? Joe is coming up in a few minutes. Yes, indeed. I'll be listening. I'm going to know if he's going back to practice, what, what his thoughts are. So that's a whole other discussion where we are, I hope. But who knows? The players, by the way, PK, I'm wondering, who, who, who has the last say in this? You think the players will dictate whether or not we, the, uh, the NBA goes or not? Yeah, I think that, that they would have a significant role, certainly. And I guess if you're going to have the last voice, uh, yeah, I can see where you're going. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting. be interesting to hear Joe take. All right, guys, I'll roll out. See you next week.
There's Craig Bullerjack. Joe Ingles, about to be a dad again. Kid number three on the way. Talks at length about that, the impact it's going to have on basketball, on the rest of this season, on some of the things he said about the season continuing. And, hey, never make a decision until you have to. Always be gathering more information. Kevin O'Connor told me that when I was trying to pin him down on stuff. He said, I haven't decided yet. I'm looking at him like, really? You're going to do this? He says, you know what? You might be right. I might do that. In this case, we were talking about picking up the option of somebody, and it might have been D. Will, but I can't remember for sure. But it was somebody who was clearly a good player. And he said, well, you know, it, and he named a couple players, uh, Kellen Winslow, Jay Williams. You know, remember what happened to them? You know, one football player, one basketball. And they, what they had in common is they both in motorcycle accidents. He says, you never know what's going to happen. And sure enough, he ended up picking up whatever player it was. He ended up picking up the option. But instead of doing it three months before the deadline, he did it like a week or two before the deadline. And so Joe will uh, talk about what he's thinking, but no definite pronouncements because, hey, A, you don't have to, and B, you're always gathering more information, right? So Joe's coming up next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Hey, yeah. This is the Zone Sports Network. Back to Joe and he'll flush. And it's time to hear from the best looking, most charismatic, and certainly the most intelligent member of the Utah Jazz. Jingle bells. Joe Ingles. Gives it back to Joe till the cop slams it in. And yes, for the record, Joe wrote this introduction. This is the Joe Ingles Show. With DJ and PK. Who? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. The Joe Ingles Show is brought to you by your hardworking friends at Mountainland Supply. For all your plumbing and irrigation needs, go to mountainlandsupply.com. Joe, good morning. Good morning. Did it just say that you guys are the most listened to show in the last, sports show in the last decade? Yep. I haven't been on for a decade. Yeah, believe it or not, we had success before we met you, Joe. If we hadn't, ama- you would have never met amazing. us. You would have never met us if we hadn't had success. Well, they could have brought me on because your show was so bad that they needed to get the ratings up, but I'm quite surprised that you guys were actually half decent at your jobs. Radio was more heartless than the G League. <laughs> They'd have fired us without a thought, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm very impressed. I'm very proud of you guys. Well, like a proud dad. we're proud of you, and you bring up the word dad. Congratulations <laughs> are in order, judging by what we've seen on social media. Congratulations. Thank you very much. It's, uh, exciting, tiring times ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, if your wife is pregnant, you're obviously not practicing social distancing. Well, if. It's funny because we obviously um, put it out there yesterday and it was obviously you never publicly announce something until it's the right time. Obviously with pregnancy is is a big thing. So um, if anyone out there and lots of people try to do the math, 
and no one got it wrong. Everyone <laughs> um, had a little guess, and everyone trying to be funny thought they'd said, "Oh, quarantine baby, blah blah blah." If you do your maths, and you know when you are actually allowed to announce, um, oh, not allowed, when it's safe to announce a pregnancy, go do your math and come back and, and have another shot at guessing because everyone was wrong. So it was definitely pre-quarantine. That's my... Okay. Doing the math, uh, actually, you'd come up with roughly Valentine's Day because typically you wait through the first trimester, oh. three months. So Valentine's Day, Joe. Uh, no, wrong again. Yeah. People all say that was the other guess. The other guess was the other. The other. I'm not that romantic. <laughs> that was the other guess was um, it was obviously pre-quarantine because of the timing, um, and everyone was saying all-star break, which I don't even know when that is. Start February, um, which was also wrong. So you guys can keep guessing, but. All you need to know is the baby's healthy, and obviously we were comfortable announcing, so whatever week you think that is, good luck to you guys, but it was not All-Star and it was not quarantine. Okay, so uh, my wife and I have two kids, and we have talked to people who have... Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, We have talked to people who have three, and I have uh, friends and relatives who are a little older, and and they had kids first, and I had a friend of mine explain, and he ended up with uh, three kids, and he said, the first one is life-changing, because everything... Everything about your life, the time and how everything works, when you're responsible for a young life, the timing of everything changes. He says, the second one is not that big a difference. He said, the third one, you're outnumbered. Now, have you been told that by friends? You're outnumbered. Your life is really going to change? Well, we kind of skipped a part of that because yeah. we went from zero Twins. to two. So we didn't really have like a first. Ours went, like you said, on the, when you go from zero to one, the whole like... Obviously, the kid comes first, or the, for us, the kids. And um, so, for us, it's we've we've known nothing but having two kids. We've we've never known what it feel like feels like to to nurse one child, or to just be changing one child's bum, or like whatever you have to do, carrying like carrying one child. We whenever we went somewhere, we had a kid each. Like no matter where we went, we we always had one each. And um, I have no doubt that three will <laughs> will change things dramatically. Um, but we're obviously pretty lucky with the kids we've got. Miller's um, be really, really hoping that she's having a sister. Um, she, she's fully aware of kind of what's going on. And um, we were pretty hesitant to tell her at the start we, when we first kind of found out because we weren't sure if she'd go back to school. And if she went to school, she'd tell everyone. And Renee obviously wouldn't have been anywhere near the safe spot to kind of announce it or anything. Um, Jacob's actually been really cool with him. He doesn't probably really realise that Renee's got a, a kid inside of her belly, but he's she's got a little bit of like a, a, a bump on her on her stomach, but he's gone up a few times and like kissed her stomach randomly and stuff like that. So um, he understands when we tell stuff to him. He just doesn't show the emotion or say, say the, the same things that Miller would. So... Um, yeah, we're pretty lucky that we'll have um, two, well, a bigger brother and sister for whatever we end up having, a boy or a girl. And um, yeah, three will be 
a lot harder than two, I'm, I'm sure. It's always fascinated me about human behavior and how some people are more open than others. And you guys, you and your wife, certainly in our community, I don't know if it would have been in another community or if you would have stayed in Europe or stayed in Australia, whatever it might be. But in ours, you're very open about your... Yeah, it's interesting as to how come you are the way you are in terms of uh, not totally being an open book, but you're sharing your life with the public. Why do you think that is? Um, I think a big part of it was was the stuff with Jacob. I think um, before we had the twins, we I mean, like you'd obviously you'd post everything every now and then, and, and for us especially more for me but when obviously Renee spent a lot of time overseas with me too um, it, it's hard to stay in contact all the time with your, your family and your friends and stuff like that and you obviously have to uh, like I've got a group of guys that I, I talk to all the time but apart from that you don't really like I've got a lot of ex-teammates and friends back home guys I went to school with whatever it is that I don't talk to every day but they, they still want to follow your journey and they they, they reach out and, and say good game every now and then. And obviously for me, um, to kind of just put something out there or um, po- or post something, it gives, a, it gives obviously not only, like you said, the, the Utah fans and then other fans around the world, but it gives our family and friends a, a pretty quick insight to, oh, this is what they're doing. The kids look good. They're healthy. Whatever. They look tired. <laughs> whatever, whatever the situation is. And then... Um, I think it did change a little bit with, with Jacob's stuff because it became it, it was and we've talked about this, like the, the back and forth of whether we came public with it or not or just dealt with it behind closed doors was um, something we didn't take lightly we, we went back and forth a lot about it and we, we just kept coming back to the fact that if if our story can help someone else, even if it's one person, and obviously with outreach and um, kind of sporting platform or whatever, we can. We knew it was going to get out there and probably reach more people than that. But if we could help other people through that and through um, like a tough situation like that, then then we were doing the right thing. And like I said, when we first put that story out um, a couple of years ago, now it was we were blown away with how many people responded and and. Like I said, like we we didn't do it for support of us. Like we we know we can get through it. Like it's it's not easy, and we have just as many bad days as as everyone else does. And we've had our ups and downs and, and everything else. But um, if we could help other people through it, it, it was going to be the right reason to to do it. And we we did it. And um, uh, I guess um, Jacob's life and his his story is, has helped us become. I guess more public, like you said, to be able to be comfortable to share and, and his progression and his, his, like I said, his, his bad days and his good days. So, um, yeah, it's not easy. I think everyone's different. I think everyone, we've talked about it before, like I'm the only public NBA player that's come out with a, a kid on the spectrum and um, to, like, I, I don't wish it upon anyone really, but I guarantee you that there's somebody else, but obviously they've chosen to deal with it in, a, in another way and, that's totally fine, um, and everyone everyone does their own decisions. So um, we're also lucky, like you said, the Utah community accepted us from day one, and um, yeah, we try to be as open as we can with this situation. 
So I thought I heard you say no when PK brought up Europe. Would you have been on a different country, a different continent? Would you have handled this differently? For sure. Um, first and foremost, we wouldn't have had the support of the club like we, we have with the Jazz. And that's not, I'm not bad-mouthing European teams, but, uh, but it's, it's a lot harder to, to go through something as, like the autism game and everything's translated and they're trying to interview me in Spanish or like whatever it is. It's just a lot harder. And um, like I said, I, I, I played for some, some great clubs in Europe and they were great looking after the players and, and whatever, but um, I just don't think it would have been the same. I think for ourselves, we would have announced it and like I said, done it for the reasons of helping other people. But I don't think we would have had the the support of the club like the Jazz and the Millers and Dennis and Steve Starks and Quinn and, and all these guys, um, the support that they've given us. And, and then you obviously go to the, the community and how amazing they've been and um, supporting us, supporting the Jazz, supporting the autism game, the, the little things we've done fundraising-wise to, to help other families and, and kids and therapy centres and blah, blah, blah. It's, um, yeah, it's been pretty amazing. So um, if it was Australia, uh, I think it would have been similar. Uh, obviously, like I said, we're, we're very lucky that we're a part of an organisation like this that, that, that wants to help um, their players and their, their own individual um, kind of passions. Are you taking advantage of this opportunity to get into the practice site? Uh, I haven't been in, No. <laughs> What I, I don't think you made that decision lightly. What went into it? Yeah, a lot. Um, obviously, the secret of, of Renee being pregnant is is a big part of it, and um, it's funny because I've done interviews and people have asked me about going into the facility because they opened whatever a couple of days ago, and um, obviously I haven't been able to, to say about Renee um, Quinn and the Jazz knew a couple of the people there knew because of. Obviously, they were asking us and whether we wanted to go in or not. And um, like I said, from day one of this happening, um, that OKC game for, for me, the, the first priority is, is my family and um, Jacob's immune system and, and what what could happen potentially to him. And, and now, obviously, with Renee being um, very early on in a, a pregnancy, the to, to risk that and to risk Jacob, Jacob and obviously Miller as well. Um, it, to me, it's not worth it. Um, I've got a gym. I've got everything I can do. Obviously, basketball-wise is, is a bit more difficult, but um, I think as we go along and find out more information and, and keep learning about this whole thing, I think it'll it'll make a decision easier, but there's, there's no way I'm willing to risk my, my children and Renee and, and all that to, to go and shoot a basketball. So... Um, they've, 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 they've made measures obviously to go in there and all that pretty dramatic in terms of the, the it's it's a full-on process i went through the process to see um what it was like and it's 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 pretty in-depth so i think um come the right time i'll, I'll obviously go in there and, and start getting get ready but um yeah i think we we need a bit more information on whether we're going to play or not and then um I think my decision will be be made after that because it's it's hard. I'm not. I'm like I said from day one of OKC. My 
priority was the kids and, and Renee, and I'm, I'm not willing to risk that to, to go and shoot a bar school. So, um, yeah, my family comes way before that. What's the time frame for an NBA player who goes inactive like you guys have been to get out of basketball shape? How quick does that occur? Um, it, it, to, to, lose, to get out of shape completely is, is really hard. Obviously, we, we can lift and ride and run. I've got, um, lucky, like I said, we've got, we've got a full gym and treadmill bike, weights, squat rack, bars, we've got everything here. So I can, in terms of that fitness, I, I don't think I would have lost much at all. Um, in terms of basketball fitness, um, probably majority of it in terms of the quick sprints and the, the stuff like that, we, we can do intervals on the treadmill for a 10-second sprint or a 30-second sprint or, or whatever it is. Um, but there's nothing like the, the basketball side. So uh, I think, I mean, I've never probably had this much time. I don't, I don't think anyone would have really had this much time away from the game. But um, over a couple-week period of, of playing and getting back in there, I think you can you can get it back, uh, especially guys like I. Like, I've played since I was five years old. Like, you, you, you don't completely lose it. So if you didn't ride a bike for eight weeks, you wouldn't just completely forget how to ride the bike. You, you, you'd get back on and it would be pretty natural so I think getting out there would be pretty natural um, and then you build that fitness up over a couple of weeks I think for, for us I don't know what they would do but anywhere from like two to four weeks individual stuff and team stuff I, I think you can you can be pretty ready to, to play again and that's obviously speaking from no experience or no professional um, opinion because I don't study that stuff and I'm not a coach I'm not a strength coach or a fitness coach but yeah, I think anywhere from kind of two to four weeks, you could you could definitely make it work. You know, in previous conversations, uh, I, I don't think you were all that – you didn't say anything definitive, I don't think, but you also weren't all that excited about uh, restarting the season and being in a hotel for two or three months, depending on, you know, what the season looks like and how far you advance in the playoffs and all that stuff. Uh, now that we know your wife is pregnant, that would kind of inform us a lot of what you were thinking. Do you want to spell <laughs> yeah. any more of that out about what you're thinking? And there's a baseball player, and I don't know that you follow baseball at all, but he doesn't want to play. Um, if they play a shortened season and I don't know how far you've gone down that road mentally and with the club um, I, I haven't gone down that far with the club obviously because um, we we are still so, so unknown I guess about this whole situation and whether we are going to play or not um, that was uh, yeah like you said that was the hardest part was uh, obviously Renee and I knew what was going on but but no one else did Um and I'd get asked all these questions and, and people would write to her on social. Like, there, there was a million things, but we, we obviously couldn't really be be that open about it at that time. And, um, I mean, it would be a, a really hard, like, really hard decision for me to, to, to pack up and leave for a couple of months when Renee's pregnant. Um, she's well on her way pregnant. Obviously, the kids um, are here full time because we're, we're not doing anything. Jacob's still doing therapy Monday to Friday in home uh, with, with one therapist that's been with him kind of the whole time. Um, so we have that every morning from 9 to 12. We, we've obviously got Miller. Um, Renee's had kind of good and bad days with, with sickness and stuff like that, and tiredness, and, and everyone knows, well, the, the women know how 
how much it affects your body and your fatigue and uh, I think that's a, the biggest thing we've learned this pregnancy is is the first one we could if Renee was tired or not feeling well we could just kind of lay down and, and relax for the day where regardless of how she's feeling well, we've got two kids that are pretty active and, and don't want to just sit around so um, for me to, to leave her with them and uh, we've got some help um, which is great and it's great for, for Renee if, if I did decide that I, I should go and had to go um, but it's still not having dad around for, for the kids and, and for Renee so um, yeah it would be I mean once we kind of make that decision and um, I think everyone now will probably understand a little bit more of why I think the way I think during this period um, but <laughs> Miller's looking through the gym window about to bang on the window if you hear anything really loud um, but yeah that's that's why it's been a, a hard decision so when, when we come to that time of, of the league saying yes or no and if it's a yes then obviously the next step will be to speak to the team and to, to the Jazz and, and see what the best option is and um, obviously I don't want to leave my team out to dry and, and not play but um, they know and I think everyone that's got kids and would feel a very similar way that their families are going to come first. So, um, yeah, we'll just have to see what happens with that decision um, once the NBA makes a decision. You think it's harder on quarantine players here for the foreign guys to be in this country as opposed to their home country? 100%. Um, and oh, I don't think it's like even – if we had a player that was from Utah, it's like they're not going to be going out to see their friends every day and have barbecues and, and be doing the same thing as they would be doing. But, to, yeah, I mean, it's it's different to... Um, it's very different to being at home. It's just not... You, you're in a foreign country, you're not with your, your family and friends close. And, um, yeah, it's just different. It's we we'd made the decision to stay regardless we'd thought about going home but obviously we'd made the decision to stay because one because Australia's going into winter the, the weather's a lot better here and stuff as well um, and the kids with with Jacob's therapy and stuff like that it's just it wasn't the right decision to, to go home so um, I, I, like I imagine like Boyan's probably sitting here thinking why the hell is he here why isn't he why isn't he in Croatia with his family or friends and being close to people but um yeah, it was. I mean, originally we didn't really get much information on whether we were allowed to leave or not. I think some guys did anyway. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not. It, it, it's just a. I don't. Know, it's just a weird situation for everybody. I think. I think like you guys and regular people, people from Utah, people from like. It's just a very different situation for everyone that we're all kind of learning as we go. Well, Joe, we appreciate a few minutes as always. Congratulations on uh, on kid number three. And are you going to name the kid David or Patrick if it's a boy? I will 100% promise you that we do not call any of those names. Okay, what about... We've actually got a fair, we've got a fair idea of a boy's name already. We've got no idea if it's a girl. Um, so we'll, uh, we are a couple that likes to find out that information. We don't want to have... I don't want to be sitting, especially in quarantine, and trying to think of, like, I'll go crazy trying to think of two different names for the whole nine months or whatever. So um, we'll find out when the time's right, and um, I'm sure we'll let everyone know. And 
will not take any suggestions of names, so don't worry about sending them through. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, if you name the kid Dennis, we're going to assume you're just sucking up for another contract. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably the funniest thing you've ever said. <laughs> we'll put it on the list. It's a short oh, list, but it's on man. the list. That's why you want. That's why you sports show of the decade. <laughs> there it is. All right. Thanks, All Joe. Right. Thanks, guys. All Appreciate right. It. There's Joe Ingles coming up next. What is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us.